Miracy. I was just in, in shock. I didn't understand exactly what was happening or what she was even saying. I didn't understand what she was even saying. I'm Esco Wilson, and this is the Self-Awakened Lifestyle. I'm a lifestyle designer and performance coach. I've helped hundreds of professionals learn how to tap into the power of their innate potential and thrive on a whole new level. I've seen lives change. I've seen my own life change. And I want to help more people. That's what this podcast is all about. Bringing my own experience together with scientific principles and holistic practices to help listeners enhance their personal and professional performance. In each episode, I guide my guests through a difficult issue or challenge. And through the mind-body-spirit connection, we will expand what's possible. My story has a lot to do with me being, running my little, you know, drug delivery service while I was still in college with a lot of people surrounding me who didn't know what I was doing, who saw me as like this young, interesting, intelligent, talented student. I was one of very few minorities in the School of Business at Rutgers University. I would like lead study groups, like I did very, very well. So once I finished college, I took on the identity, not like the secret drug dealer. It was like full on, I am a hustler, I'm a drug dealer. This is who I am. And I hung around people who acknowledged me for that. Like, yeah, you the hustler, you, you and your team, you're on top, you're doing your thing. So in order for me to wear that persona and be that individual, part of my code was not to create relationships with what I labeled as civilians. So people who I was in college with, who also did very well, I abandoned them. I didn't want them in my life. I didn't want any like collateral damage. I had this very good friend, beautiful woman. We were in school together and she was really smart. We went into the master's degree program together. Um, we took a trip to Vegas together, slept in the same hotel room. And I did not try anything because I knew who I was. And I knew that at the end of the day, I'm not here to like try to explain myself or create a rationale for like why I sell drugs, knowing that I could be doing other things. I didn't want to face that reality. I didn't want to have that conversation with myself or with anybody else. I wanted to live in the complete illusion that everything was absolutely the way it should be. So in order for me to do that and still have relationships, I'm interacting with strippers all the time. And my numbing behavior became not only these types of relationships, but systemic marijuana smoking. I would go to the nightclub. I would sit on the side, no interactions. I might have a little bit of a drink. I'm not like popular in the club. I'm like quiet. I'm easy. And then afterwards we would leave and go to my place and we would like really have like a relationship. And that relationship, I labeled it as my human pet. And in order for me for, to like really like numb myself and like pet my pain away and like pet this narrative away was systemic smoking weed. I would drive around with a gun, crack cocaine in the trunk, smoking weed, driving down the highway, just allowing myself to live in this illusion that I was this entrepreneurial kind of like hustler, drug dealer kind of person. Numbing behaviors can be a way to silence something 
but also a way to amplify other parts of what we are creating, knowing that what we're creating is really, really, really detrimental. But we have to silence that, that trigger. So don't do that. Like, that's crazy. What are you doing? Nah, it's good. I got this. Smoke the weed. I got this. And then those triggers get numbed out. And then after a while, you don't get scared anymore. So that's the impact of numbing behaviors. My guest today is Laura. She's in her mid-30s, living in New York City. And I've been working with her for three years. I chose her for this episode because she gives us a juxtaposition to really understand what the self-awakened lifestyle is all about. There's an epiphany moment, like a life-altering spiritual awakening. There's an opportunity to regulate with that and see it and give it philosophy. And Laura's gonna give us this amazing example of how to go in the opposite direction. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Esco. How do you feel? I feel pleasant, I feel good. Calm. Okay, cool. So let's become very curious to start. Okay. What question do you want to ask me? Where are you going to take me? Okay. <laughs> hey, Laura, welcome to the show. You diving right in. <laughs> I like that. Okay. You ready to go? All right. So where am I going to take you? Where do you want to go? I'm in this state of mind where I am anticipating you know, to have maybe a release. Okay. So you want to go toward the release? Yes. Okay. So what do you realize about your life right now in terms of being stuck? It's going very well. I'm, I have a supportive family for the most part. My friendship circle is small, but true. I'm involved with my community and uh, my personal relationship. I'm single and looking to develop that aspect or that area. How's that going? It's going all right. I have ups and downs. I meet new people. I'm developing new relationships. Um, although there hasn't been anything specific that has really been a significant intimate relationship. Okay. Go ahead and take five breaths. Mm-hmm. Now allow yourself to sit comfortable, begin to understand how your breath is moving through your body. When you find the bottom of your exhale, let me know. Let me know when you understand what it feels like to be at the bottom of your exhale. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm actually still unsure what it means to be at the bottom of the exhale. Take all your breath in and hold it. Take your awareness above the held breath. So you're holding your breath in. Okay. And hold it. So this is your breath being held in. Now imagine there's a sphere of influence all around you. The held breath is inside that sphere. You take your awareness outside that held breath, outside that sphere of energy, and wait, to, wait for something to happen. And see, tell me what happens, if anything. It feels as though there is some type of white ball of energy in the top of my head, kind of where you may think a third eye would be. And when I go above the held breath, it flashes white. And then it gets dark again. Okay. So describe the benefits of this flashing light that may be associated with your third eye opening. 
What are the benefits, if any? It feels as though there's like a transfer of consciousness to a third person perspective. Her ability to see flashing lights while she's visualizing and contemplating and self-regulating can be a symbol that life from this moment forward will never be the same. It's a marker. It's like a flag in the ground. It's a fork in the road. And you can label it. Wow, the flashing lights in my mind meant, and you create whatever you want it to mean to you. And you'll remember, yeah, remember I had a flashing light and then from there, I just took off and this is what happened. So the ability to step back and say, yeah, that's it. That's the signal from wherever you want that signal to come from. Whatever belief system, whatever philosophy that you embrace, you can align that philosophy with this beautiful spark of light, this moment where everything shifted. So is this not where I want to be? What do you think? I think it is where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. Because you're seeing from a universal perspective. You're able to step back and watch yourself create thoughts. Make sense? Yes. Okay, awesome. So let's assume that was an exploration of going above the breath. Okay? Okay. So now to go underneath the breath, we'll do the opposite. Make sense? Yes. Okay, so take a full inhale. Now exhale all your breath out. Now this would be for a brief moment. Just hold it out for a brief moment. Okay, now I want you to do that five times. So you exhale out and you get heavy and like loose and then hold it out for a little bit and then surrender into that space underneath the breath and then breathe again. I went under the breath a few times and now it's more like continuously under the breath. What are your thoughts? I have just these more visceral feelings like before it felt like it would like heavy pressure, more darkness towards the bottom near my pelvis area. Okay. Darkness. See if you can relax into that heaviness and in, and into that darkness. Just explore. I want you to talk to me about relationships, but I want to talk about the first really powerful romantic relationship in your life when you're ready. Okay. Um, my first love, I met him when I was 18. We were in high school together. We were together for four years. He was friends with mutual friends that we both had. So we noticed each other, um, didn't really talk to each other at first until uh, junior prom. We were in the same group and we went out together. There were no dates. It was just like a celebration. I always liked him for months before that. And um, we had been talking on AOL and it was just like banter back and forth. I was happy. I was very naive. I just had a very sheltered, you know, um, life. My parents were strict. I never had a boyfriend before. I never even kissed a boy before. (laughs) That night we went to a comedy club. We all went out to dinner. It was a huge group, but we stayed mostly close to each other. What's his name? His name is Billy. Okay. So you and Billy at the comedy club and you really start to connect. What happens? 
the plan was after the night out to come back to my house and we were all going to have a sleepover in my living room area. It was like a co-ed sleepover, junior prompting. And we both just decided that we were going to sleep next to each other in this big living room where everyone else was sleeping as well. So I was very happy. So what happens? Everyone was watching a movie, cuddled. We had our first kiss. We didn't really know what to do next. But after like a couple of weeks, then, you know, we were basically attached by the hip. So what happens? So we grew and developed and, and evolved together for probably the next like, you know, three and a half, four years. And then there was an abrupt ending to our relationship. Abrupt is a strong word. Yes, abrupt is a strong word, but I do think it's fitting. I was in college. He was in college. We specifically stayed local so we could be together. We were talking about our future together, the things we wanted. I was 21, 22. And then one day, one random like summer day, I guess the beginning of the summer, I just remember I had like the TV on in the living room and it was like some type of the MTV playing music. And I was like dancing around my living room to the music. And then someone rang the doorbell. His mom came over my house and it was her and her sister, basically Billy's aunt. And they looked very like solemn. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was home alone at the time. And I had a little dog who was barking like crazy. So I put him in the living room and closed the door. He was like still barking and the music was still playing. And uh, basically I let them in and she just sat me down and told me that he had a seizure and he passed away the night prior. Tell me the energy. Basically like shock. I didn't cry. Just everything slowed down, but I still heard like this background noise of the dog barking and the music in the living room. The doors were closed, but I still like heard that. And I remember looking across the room and there was like a mirror. And I like remember seeing myself in the reflection. I was just in in shock. Mm. I didn't understand exactly what was happening or what she was even saying. I didn't understand what she was even saying. So you're looking in the mirror. Yeah, I caught a glance of myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. But I I want you to stay here. Is that okay? Yeah. So kind of like slow down or freeze frame. See it in your mind. At the bottom of your exhale. You see yourself in the mirror. And you're listening to the heart beating of this woman staring at you in the mirror. Watch her heartbeat slow down. She's able to turn shock into something else. Watch. When you're ready to share what this means to you, watching this woman in the mirror shift from shock into whatever you want her to shift into, whatever you allow her to shift into. So this moment in this woman's life, what does it mean? It means complete like evolution change mark of like drastic change it's a point of change and then basically i see her like melting down like away and then like rebuilding or regrowing into something different yet still the same 
Ooh. So she starts to engage in creative destruction. Certain parts of her break down and get recreated. And this new recreation could be in one direction or it could be in another direction. So she's being recreated. What direction does life begin to move into? Do you want me to tell you what actually happened or what I see it happening if I could do it over now? Get your journal. I want you to journal what you see in your mind. Take your time. So in this moment, there's an intuitive experience. There's a practice of visualization a somatic experience of feeling what you're seeing so that you can hopefully start to change the memory, give the memory a different direction. And if we are able to change our memories, we automatically begin to change who we are in the moment. If we assume that who we are in the moment is a collection of past experiences, if we want to change instantaneously, what would it look like to start changing our past, almost like rewriting our past. So yeah, the facts are the facts, but how we relate to them can change. And we did the meditation, and now there's, there's an opportunity to reframe the meaning of those facts. I wanted her to sit and allow this new presentation to become conceptualized, to become a narrator, an author of this new story that she's starting to craft in her imagination to write it down, to see how it feels through her penmanship, to give it a breath, to give it some energy, and then let it sit. Then we can go back to a conversation where she's used to conceptualizing the old story. Knowing that, we've already started scripting a different story. The key to truly understand what we're talking about is just step back and understand that the journaling is a top-down process. It's a mental conceptualization piece first, understand it, and then see how it filters into the body. So that's the power of journaling. How are we doing? Good. I mean, I'm pretty much done with the thought process. What I saw is effectively translated to the paper. So you have what you see now in this beautiful moment. We documented that. That's important. I want to know what happened, though. I want to know the vivid details of what actually happened. Let's take five breaths and just kind of settle in. You'll feel it shift. The woman in the mirror is being destroyed and something else emerges. What actually happened? I was crushed, like emotionally, even physically. I just felt like completely obliterated. My heart was shattered. You know, I was in shock. And I was depressed for probably years on and off. It was terrible. It was very like upsetting, obviously. The first five years after that happened was, was pretty bad. I would say like the immediate three years after it happened was very, very dark. Just very confused, very sad. I tried to focus. I was still in school and was trying to just hold it together. But I would cry all the time and I didn't understand what had happened or why it happened. Okay. Let's take five breaths. 
Five breaths is a way to establish like a measuring stick. It's a self-assessment tool. In the yogic system, it's known as the kosha sheaths of identity. So first breath, how's my physical body? Can I see it? Second breath, how's my energetic body? Can I smell it? Third breath, who am I being right now? Can I listen? Fourth breath, what are my beliefs? Can I taste them? Fifth breath, can I allow my spiritual essence to shine out? And the idea is that I regulate. Regulated means, whoa, I can see myself having an experience, but I don't have to embody it. I can conceptualize it, I can label it, I can put it in a category, I can give it a title, I can script it, and then share it. And because I can do all that, that means I can change the meaning. So that's a regulated person. That doesn't mean they're not upset. That doesn't mean their heartbeat isn't pounding. Their heartbeat could be pounding, you could be sweating, you could be like, oh my God. Listen, audience of 10,000 people, this is my first speaking engagement, and the truth is, I am unbelievably scared. Because that person can do that and step back and say, I'm scared, here's what scares me. And here's how I'm showing up and maybe you can support me or you choose, but their heart is still pounding. To me, that person is regulated. It's beautiful to say I'm purposely going into that situation where I know I will be dysregulated and I'll be able to watch myself and create a story from the beginning, the middle and the end and give details and understand exactly what's happening. It was just a dark time. I was looking for ways to kind of like numb the pain or focus on anything that would, you know, distract me from the pain that I was feeling. So I experimented with like pills and alcohol. That probably didn't start until like maybe a year later though, or like six months later. Like I said, I was trying to hold it together with school, but I couldn't really like focus on anything. Eventually I like made new friends or I completely changed friend groups because the friend group that I had were all his friends and our friends together. And it was just like too difficult to stay in that friend group. So I had made new friends and I started doing things that I didn't normally do, like going out, drinking, smoking drugs. It started just with pills, like diazepam, anti-anxiety pills. Then like started smoking marijuana and drinking. Nothing, you know, too crazy, but eventually formed a habit. Cigarettes, going out. I moved out of the house and I just was not progressing, barely getting through school. But it wasn't a priority. The priority for me at that time was going out and dealing with my depression in ineffective ways. I wanted to numb the feeling. So I had like a little pouch of pills that I had collected. They were combination painkillers, muscle relaxers, anti-anxiety medication. Definitely had times where I was low and I thought about taking those pills. As a suicide attempt, I definitely had those thoughts and I had a plan. So that was you know, a very dark time for me. So how close did you come to executing a plan to commit suicide? 
one time I was sitting in the car with all the pills and I guess that was the closest that I had gotten to. I was in the parking garage of school and I kind of wanted to take them all and just somehow, you know, I just, I didn't think I had the courage to do that ultimately. For Laura, after the shock of losing this beautiful relationship and this, you know, this beautiful human being that she was really, really connected with on a deep level. She actually saw the future with this person. What's going to help her to numb that pain or to heal that pain or to be soothed and comfort? In some situations, there's family that's there to be compassionate and empathetic and create a container of safety and vulnerability and quiet so that somebody who is going through a situation can heal. Sometimes family or people in our lives, they may not really understand how hurt we are or how much support we actually need. We may not do a beautiful, powerful job of sharing our need for support and help. And for Laura, this is my assumption, the part of her that just needed to sit and be seen and be understood, that part of her was not allowed to be present. And the only way to really move forward for Laura is to allow this person to have a medium of exchange, an opportunity to be seen. So I cannot feel this way. It's too much pain. These things help me. Drinking, smoking marijuana, they take the pain away. I need to be able to engage in these numbing behaviors and not be judged. In order for me to really numb the pain, not only do I need to engage in these behaviors, but I need to create a persona who is really not um, concerned with boundaries and let me move towards people who allow me to practice numbing. It's trying to address a problem in a way that's not sustainable. But once you begin the process of solving the problem in this way, it numbs you. It diminishes the triggers that try to tell you that is not the way to go. That is not the solution. Here's the solution. Yes, it'll be challenging, but over time, it'll be 10 times better than what that other path has to offer. And that voice just gets more quiet. Those sensations get muted. And that other persona who is numbed out starts to govern our direction in life. So we're starting to see a bigger picture. I would say a very deep and profound understanding of, you know, romantic relationships. How's that going now? I don't have any significant intimate relationship with anybody. I'm talking and dating with someone in particular, but it's not anything profound or significant. You feel ready for a new relationship? Is that something that you want? Yes, definitely. How do you start to move forward from, you know, being really sad towards being who you are now? Yep. It was pretty bad for a while and it just got progressively worse and worse, I guess, until you could say that I hit a rock bottom and I finally decided to like see a doctor who wanted to put me on antidepressants. 
And um, I decided that that wasn't the route for me, but I did need to do something. So after that rock bottom, I started working on myself and changing my lifestyle. I've been able to like regrow and find myself and pursue passion. So I feel like 100% in a better place. Uh, That's amazing. Okay, good. And what are some of the things that you're embracing in your lifestyle to help your personal development, to help elevate your emotions? Definitely meditation as like the primary source for inspiration for my professional life, personal life, and so forth, even physical, um, you know, exercise, my diet, the community I surround myself with, the people I make friends with. Mostly it has to do with you know, my activities that I no longer really am interested in, like going out to the bar, drinking, smoking. I don't do those things anymore. And it didn't happen overnight. I'll tell you that much. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so I'm more focused on things that I find fulfilling. I don't find those things fulfilling anymore at this point, you know. Tell me how you stopped smoking weed. I didn't 100% stop smoking weed. I'll just say that. But um. I don't do it regularly anymore and maybe I'll do it like with a friend or if I'm in a bad mood, but I was smoking weed pretty consistently and I knew it was something that was holding me back. And really basically what happened is I got a job and that lifestyle just was not conducive with marijuana. So I had <laughs> it was something I always wanted to do. I wanted to stop for a while and I tried, but it was very difficult to stop that. I was able to stop drinking alcohol. I stopped smoking cigarettes, but the marijuana for some reason, you know, was mm. really difficult for me to kick. But mm. after I got my dream job, um, okay. yeah, after that I stopped. And now it's really only something I do as like a social or recreational thing. If there's a concert, maybe, or like if it's a sunset, like I said, maybe once a week or twice a week. I wish I could stop it completely, to be frank, but it's difficult. Oh, hold on. Okay. What makes it so hard? I find that I'm more creative sometimes with it, and I'm also addicted to it probably to some extent. Okay. So you think you're addicted? Yeah, definitely, because I wouldn't do it because I really don't want that in my life, but I can't stop. You can't stop smoking marijuana. You sure about that? I mean, I think I can stop, but I haven't been able to. If it's around, if it's offered, if it's in my house, then yeah, there'll be times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this and relax and lay down or like go to a concert or whatever. But it would be, yeah, I don't like that. I like to keep my conscious and my mind like clear. It's cloudy. It clouds my judgment. Yes, it's creative, but it's a false reward pathway. And really, I've just been working on rewiring my reward pathways over the past four or five years. It used to be that those things like alcohol, smoking would would make me feel motivated. But I wanted to become more motivated based on other accomplishments like professional accomplishments, personal accomplishments. So I've been working on rewiring my reward system. So, but marijuana is still there. Okay. All right. Let's put, let's, let's put that on the table then. I like that. We want to work on this for the next couple months. Definitely. Oh yeah. You mean like not smoking at all anymore? For sure. I, that, is that what you're saying? I mean, a lot of people are going to hear you basically can make a commitment. This is a sacred commitment. I commit. 
I want you to think about this. A sacred commitment needs to be done from, you know, every part of you needs to be involved. The bottom of the exhale needs to say, yes, I'm committed. The top of the inhalation needs to say, yes, I'm committed. The woman in the mirror is like, yep, we done. The one who, you know, all of you needs to be like, yeah, we good. We done. You ready for that? I'm ready for that. I've been ready for that. So today we're saying no for how long? A week? You think it should be like a cold turkey thing? Ah, good question. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I do think so. Okay. And if it wasn't a cold, if it wasn't a cold turkey thing, what would it be? If it wasn't a cold turkey thing, it would basically be what it is now, which I still do it every once in a while. And I don't really like judge myself about it anymore. I'm like, okay, it is what it is. I don't want to keep doing it. And I have it in the house and I'd be ready to like throw it away today. Okay. So you throw it away and then what? Somebody comes in and sneaks marijuana into your house? How does the marijuana get in your house? <laughs> I have a delivery service. So let's shut that down. Yeah, if you want absolutely. To. Yeah, of course. Okay, I so mean... we kill the delivery service. Mm-hmm. We dump the weed out. What's step three? Enjoy life and make new reward connections in my brain and find like it. inspiration and creativity in, in natural I ways. I love it. Know. I love it. So we have a sacred commitment. We're starting right now in this, the bottom of this next exhale. I'm like a little bit nervous about like, yeah, I, how I know. I'm going to. I know. I already oh. know. I already know. What I'm saying is sacred commitment is done from a certain state of being, a certain internal awareness. So take your time. I really honor you making this commitment. And then I want to know your notes because you journaled. And I want to get an idea of what you journaled. How are we doing? I'm good. I'm ready. So you with the woman in the mirror, a moment of creative destruction. The first piece is something is destroyed. The next piece is something emerges. When you had that vision, what would you have liked to have seen happen? Like, I wish that I handled the situation in a better manner. And I wish I didn't completely distract and surround myself with darkness. I wish I focused. So, yes, I basically melted down into like a dirty, dark puddle, like vile black liquid I saw dripping all around me. But in the the vision, it was like creeping up on the sides of this wall of like the sphere and like this dark black liquid dripping down on me. But there was like a pivotal point in my life when I knew I wanted to change. So like there was some kind of lightness inside me that I fostered. And basically that light dripped down and started climbing the walls and the darkness like turned green. Oh. And ah. now, <laughs> now I'm in this sphere that has... There's still like some dark puddles on the ground, but for the most part, the sphere above me and around me is mostly like green. Okay, got it. And one of these dark puddles is smoking marijuana. Yes, I do think so. I don't want that in my life. And I like, I I do think that's like a barrier. So we'll start with that sacred commitment. Let it turn green. All right. So we'll stop smoking marijuana and then allow that dark puddle to turn green. And when you're ready, we'll start. Well, let's take one step at a time, right? Yes, sounds good. All right, awesome. This is excellent. And I really appreciate you hanging in there. You're strong, you got resiliency. How you feel? I feel good. 
I do feel like I had a good like release and the visions that I just told you about was like actually profound for me. Like things come full circle and I see like hardships and suffering and then like how I've evolved. Um, So it just brings inspiration for the future. Yeah, I love it. The more I talk about that with you, that situation, that point in my life, that girl in the mirror, how scared I was, like it's not as scary anymore. So that makes every time I have these conversations with you about that, it used to be really tough, but now it's not that scary anymore. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in a safe space internally and externally, we like to believe, this is for all of us, we like to believe that bringing light into stories, creating a beginning of the story, details throughout the middle, going into an end of the story, letting it have a sense of closure, a sense of wholeness and completeness and step back and see it. But we kind of go through those iterations and editing and reframing and shaping it. It does become very light and something that was traumatic in our past because we gave it a beautiful conceptuality. This is our life. This is what we're living. This is what we're, this is what we're creating. One of the major takeaways in the session with Laura is the idea of a sacred commitment. What is a sacred commitment? I am committed to living a certain way, to exhibiting a certain set of behaviors. So I am telling you, whether it's one person or a community of people, this is what I'm doing. Here's my public proclamation. I want to make myself better. I want to inspire you. And that just creates a more powerful life. And by putting yourself in that partnership, there's a deeper level of inspiration. There's more accountability. That's not about, oh, you messed up. It's, wow, thank you for sharing your commitments. Thank you for sharing your intentions to manifest something with me. And yes, I'm here to watch you and be with you and inspire you. I'm your cheerleader. I'm your partner. You got this, go for it. And it allows us to build something bigger. When I take a step back and I get a bigger view of Laura's experience, the first thing that comes to my mind is lightning strike moment where nothing is gonna be the same. Once the lightning strikes, something has completely shifted. The next thing that comes to mind can we regulate in that shift? Can we have a response that allows us to move in a certain direction? Or is the lightning strike so powerful that we lose our capability to narrate? We lose our capability to script and tell the story the way we want to tell it. We just become a puppet, a lost character who is now being developed by defaults, by reactionary triggers, survival mechanisms, at the end of the day, no matter what has happened, we can settle down and start to make shifts as we move forward in our behaviors, in our thought patterns, the people that we associate ourselves with, our intentions, our big plans, the big scheme. We can do that moving forward, but we can also sit with the individual who experienced that life-altering moment, let them be heard by learning from them and start to change the meaning of the memories. 
I am Esco Wilson, and you've been listening to The Self-Awakened Lifestyle. You can find out more about me at theselfawakenedlifestyle.com. I'd like to thank Laura for coming to the show today. I'm really looking forward to seeing her life blossom even more. The Self-Awakened Lifestyle is part of Miracy FM Podcast Network, which also includes shows like Soul Savvy Business and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Melissa Deal assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sam. So you don't miss upcoming episodes. Please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. It really does help us out. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.